Thank you, worship team. Probably for some of you, the, the testimony will be the highlight of the service today. And finding out that, um, I just found out that later in life is about 17 or 18 years old. <clears throat> so now concerned about my lifespan here. Oh boy. And then you can you can just be ministered to by a song. Your labor is not in vain. Because so frequently you feel like, you know, what am I doing? Um, could be in a career, could be as a parent. You know, you don't feel like things are going your way and will be a, a day when all things will be made new and you can just trust in that. Today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. We're going to read four very familiar verses. Chapter 10, uh, verse 38 through 42. It's always helpful to have your Bible open, but maybe especially today because the way we're going to start the service, I'm going to ask you to look at the, the, um, the text three different times. And I'm going to start the sermon with the application. Usually you talk about the sermon and then you have an application today. We're just going to start with the application because a very familiar passage, Mary and Martha. And the application is you and I need to find a way to sit in front of Jesus undistracted. Now, if you if you you're saying the same thing, easy say, hard do. So we're going to practice today. I'm going to give you just a few minutes to practice. And so I'm going to read the text three different times, and in between I'm going to give you just a minute to sit with the text. And I want this to be a little, maybe like what Krista said, somebody helped her through her very first quiet time. So just to sit and just, first of all, just think about circle words, think Think about you being in the story. What do you think about? What do you feel? Where are you? Who are you in the story? What is Jesus saying to Mary and Martha that he might be saying to you? And that's the application, and then I'll talk about it as we get through. So the first reading. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen, chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away for, from her. Let's reflect on God's word.
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three siblings, three of Jesus' favorite people. He stops by when he goes to Jerusalem because they live two miles outside of Jerusalem. And they're kind of like a bed and breakfast for Jesus when he's in town. And you might say these are some of his best friends. He raised Lazarus from the dead, so that's a pretty good friend when you have somebody who can raise you from the dead. Cares very much about them. He stops by here to have a quick meal, and this is his encounter. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Lord, as we attempt to sit here and choose the good portion, the portion that can never be taken away, the portion in which Thieves do not steal, steal, where moth and rust do not destroy. Would you help us today to take just these few minutes as a moment to be sitting at your feet and listening to you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone asked you how to be a great athlete or a great musician or a great surgeon, what would you say? Yeah, if you want to be a great athlete, just go and run a four-minute mile. 
If you want to be a great musician, just sit at a piano and play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. If you want to be a great surgeon, just go to the hospital and crack open somebody's chest and fix their heart. Is that what you would say? No, you wouldn't say that because those people don't have the habits in order to do those things. I, I can understand if I'm on the track, I've got to make it four times around in four minutes. But guess what? This won't come as a shock. I've not developed the habits to do that. So what you would say is if somebody wants to do something like that, if they want to become a kind of person, if they want to be transformed into a musician or an athlete or a surgeon, or you can choose whatever it is, you would say, well, then the very first things you have to do is you have to develop some fundamental habits that when those things are in place, that those things will enable you to actually run a four-minute mile, to actually sit down and play the piano or perform surgery. So if somebody asks you how to be spiritually strong as a Christian, how would you respond? Would you say, well, just go act like Jesus? Would you say, I've got a little wristband for you, a little bracelet, WWJD, and just whatever situation you're in, refer to the bracelet and just do whatever Jesus does. See, I'm afraid some of us might say, yeah, that's right. But you understand, you can't just act like Jesus on the spot. You have to have habits of being with Jesus if you're going to act like Jesus on the spot. And so when we get to this text today, we're talking about habits that begin to change your life so that when you're on the spot, you can begin to act like Jesus. Dallas Willard states this, the general human failing is to want what is right and important. You hear that? You want what is right and important, but at the same time, you're not willing to commit to the kind of life that produces that action. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. You really want it, but then you don't put the habits in so that when you get on the spot, you can't actually perform. And two key habits, we're going to talk about each one this week and next week. First is doing what Mary did, sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word. That's the first habit. The second habit comes in chapter 11, opening verses, is prayer. So these are two what we would call spiritual disciplines. I liked how Donald Whitney described spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are the process by which you put yourself in the way of allurement. Spiritual disciplines are the process you use to put yourself in front of something that becomes attractive, that becomes desirable. Here's how he closes this statement. They are the highways built by God to the ocean of himself. I love that. Spiritual disciplines are the highways built by God to the ocean of himself. So it's important that sitting before the word and prayer don't become the end goal. You hear that? They're not the end goal. They're the highway to the end goal. And here's one way you know whether your spiritual disciplines have become a goal or a highway to the goal. If your spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible or praying become boxes you check, then they're the end goal. 
If you just sit and say, I did that, okay, I did that, I did, I did that, then what you're saying is that's the goal. I read my Bible today. I did my prayer. I did my thing, and I checked a box. Then you're using the discipline. You're using the highway as that's the end goal. Those are just highways to get to the ocean. So if your spiritual training is just boxes to check, then you've missed the ocean. Now, I think about this because when I was young, I spent four years living in Oklahoma. And we lived in a small town. It just looked like a desert. There were lots of rattlesnakes and scorpions and stuff around. It's cool when you're a little kid. It's not a place you'd want to live now. But we would travel from the middle of Oklahoma to, to a barrier island like Holden Beach or Ocean Isle. Every summer, one week. And, you, you know, you get close, and you're just on the western side, and all these, you know, jungle golf starts popping up, and T-shirts, and ice cream shops, and a fish house. And you know, hey, we're almost there. And then you get on this bridge. You've been on them? And they just come up, and then you see the ocean. I'd go down to Ocean Isle twice a year, and same thing. Go up that big bridge. And you just, you're just captured by it. You're like, yes, this highway delivered us to the ocean. And you get out. You don't even unpack. You run and get your feet in the ocean. Like, you can't wait to get to the ocean. You're not like, wow, that's an awesome highway. No. You're thankful for the highway. You don't get stuck in the crab house. You, you move on to the thing that you, you've wanted to encounter. That's God himself. So these are great highways. They're necessary highways. You can't get to God without getting on these highways, but they're not the end. So you don't, we don't want to go say, well, I checked all the boxes, Paul, because you could check all the boxes, get across the bridge, and miss the ocean. What's the purpose? The purpose is to run into the ocean of God himself. And so that's what Mary is doing. She has run into the ocean. And Martha is trying to drag her back across the bridge. Mike Cosper says this, the disciplines don't just provide the strength to endure the troubles of this world, they open up the possibility of living in another world. Yes, they are helpful to say, I need to get through this day or this week or this time or this season, but there's another world. And my question for me this week has been, and I'm giving it to you, when you wake up every day, you put yourself in the way of allurement. That's not the question. The question is, what is it you put in front of you that's alluring, that's attractive, that's desirable, that's your goal? Mary and Martha, pretty straightforward. Mary was sitting at the ocean. Martha's trying to yank her back into a world of distractions. And you notice Jesus isn't having it. He's kind, but he's firm. Martha, Martha. Mary's sitting at the ocean. She's not going back to the crab shack. She has chosen what is actually called the good portion. It's a way of, of connecting the illustration to what Martha's doing. She's preparing in the kitchen all these dishes because her guest has arrived. And Jesus says, you know, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the one casserole dish that satisfies her soul. And we're not going to take that away from her. And that dish happens to be Jesus. So the first step in our transformation 
if we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, is we must discipline ourselves to sit in front of Jesus. So we did it just for four minutes here. And if you don't have any habit, then just start with four minutes. Don't try to start with 45. Just not going to do it. It's like me trying to go out and run a marathon. Yeah, let's try to walk around the circle one time, Paul. That's, that's all you got. And so there, there, you've got your Bible. There's some journals that are at the information table. That might be helpful to you. Uh, they're $5. Sorry, we couldn't give them to you for free. But you can just sit, find a chair, sit, read two or three times. One passage. Don't try to read the whole book of the Bible. Just read. Just note what you, you felt like the Lord was pointing out to you. Some word, some phrase. Have a prayer. Five minutes. Just start there. Because if, if, we, if we can't do that, then when we get out into the world, we're just not going to be able to, to act like Jesus. Some biblical examples, Moses, I love this passage. I've mentioned it a couple times recently in, Mark, in Exodus 3. It says Moses is out. He sees the burning bush, and he takes notice of it, and he walks over to it. And this is what it says. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. So Jesus is, or the Lord is paying attention. When, when the Lord saw, hey, Moses is paying attention, he turned aside, he turned away from the things, the distractions of this world, just to look at this one thing. When he did that, the next phrase, God spoke. When you turn aside, so often that's when God speaks. And totally turned Moses' life totally upside down. Just that turn, just saying, I'm going to get out of the distraction of this world and just focus on the one portion to choose one thing to sit in front of the ocean. And who knows how God might transform your life, but you can't hear it with all the noise over here. Jesus, one of my favorite passages is Mark 1. Uh, He's got the whole town at his house. They're all coming to get healed and he's teaching And then late in the night, they finally get rid of everybody. They go to sleep, and then the disciples wake up, and he's not anywhere around. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and found a lonely place to pray. So then, when the disciples get up a little bit later, crowd's coming back. the, The people that got healed went out and got their friends. Now it's double the size. And they come back, and then they scramble to find Jesus, and they find him in this lonely place, and they say, Jesus, the whole town's looking for you. Let's get back in the game. What does Jesus say? Right now is the time to go to another town. And I would have been like, what? This is, I mean, this is why we're here, isn't it? People coming, and you're saying it's time to go to another town. Do you see, where did Jesus learn that? When he was alone with the Lord, hey, it's time to go to a different town. Some of us are waking up and just getting uh, uh, urgent message after urgent message after urgent message. And these are real needs. But you're missing the ocean. God may say, right now is the time for you to turn and move in a different direction. And the way you know about that is by spending time with the Lord, which Jesus himself did. I hate to pick on Peter, but he's so great to pick on, so... Mark 14, 
Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch. This is Jesus talking to Peter. Peter, watch and pray. You feel those two spiritual disciplines? Watch. Sit at my feet. Watch. Keep your eyes open. Do not fall asleep. Pray. So that you will not be dragged into temptation. So Peter fell asleep. And the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And then could Peter act on the spot like Jesus? No, he couldn't. He knew what was right. He watched Jesus do what was right. But he couldn't do it. Because he hadn't watched and prayed. So instead of doing something that Jesus would have done, he acts like the world and pulls out a sword and starts cutting people in half. I wonder if you're like that. You really haven't watched and prayed, so when you get out into your family, or you get out into your world, or you get out into the business, you just go for the power pull. I'm just going to get angry. I'm just going to yell. I'm going to just do whatever it takes to get my way to operate, the world to operate my way. Because we don't have the capacity to act on the spot because we haven't taken time to turn aside, to build up this life with the Lord. Some of you may wake up every morning you feel like you're behind. You feel like everyone's looking for you. And a, and a tidal wave of, of distractions just enter into your mind as you wake up. And you're answering good things. You're not necessarily doing things that are bad. But are urgent things constantly taking up your time and you miss the ocean. Matt Pierman writes this, to live your life without God is the most unproductive thing you can do. I mean, you get up and say, I got to be productive because I got to get started. Living your life without God is the most unproductive thing that you can do because you can spend your whole life going in the wrong direction and meet God and say, you know, you missed the ocean. Well, I did all these urgent, yeah, it's not what I wanted you to do. There's a pastor who speaks on this topic uh, of undistracted time with God and after the sermon he has an area where people come up and talk to him in a sort of energetic type a businessman comes up to him he said good good word pastor but you know I don't have time for that so the pastor suggested hey why don't you just do this why don't you just find a chair Put it in some place in your house or wherever it may be. I don't care where it is. Just find a chair and just think, when I'm in that chair, I'm with the Lord. However small amount of time it may be. And just read your Bible. Don't One verse, you know, a little passage. Write something down. Start with four or five minutes. And the guy walked away and the pastor thought, you know, you have one of those conversations like, that guy's not going to do that, you know. I don't have that. I mean, when I say stuff to you, I know you're going to, you're writing it down. I'm going to do exactly what he says. But in this case, several months later, the guy comes back and says, hey, I, I took you up on your little challenge. I, I'm not, I've quit my business. I sold my business. I felt like God wanted me to do something else. H- how did you learn that? Sitting in that chair. Next phone call he got from the guy, I have cancer. He went to his funeral. A wife came up to him and said, 
You know, his whole life changed sitting in that chair. Aren't you so glad for this guy? He didn't miss it. I mean, I don't know what he did. He just felt like God was moving him in a different direction than just being a hard-charging business person. And, and he could have missed it. He could have, he could have done some good, distracting things, but missed the ocean. His whole life changed just by sitting in the chair. So you need to have a chair. You need to have some place. You need to have some carved out time. I know if you're a mom of three young children or something, that's going to be a lot harder. You might have to just get in your car. I, that's, it's a nice chair. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> right? I mean, if your kids aren't in it, it's nice. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is. Um, so, but whatever it is, you just find yourself where I just can't be distracted. And your whole life may change. Your whole life may change by just sitting in the chair, by turning aside and saying, you know, I bet God's speaking, been speaking the whole time, but I haven't turned aside to listen. I've been using this power sword my whole life trying to get my way, and I've got to put that back and operate in a totally different way. Well, mo- most of us know Martha because we're very familiar with Martha. What's her biggest challenge? What's the word that you probably circled in your mind? Distractions. Distractions. She's distracted. I love how the Greek says it, to drag around. She's, isn't that a great picture? She's just dragging around all these work and worry things. I, I got it, Paul. You wouldn't believe the list I've got to get done. I mean, he just pops in, and I've got to have a meal ready. And I got all these things. And then I've got all all this anxiety and she's just dragging around work and worry like these giant anchors. She's she's distracted. Mike Cosper. Distractions which move us away from any belief in God are disciplines of disenchantment. Anything that drags you away from trusting that being with God is the most productive thing. It's, it is a discipline. It's a discipline of disenchantment. I don't really believe God can answer this problem. I don't think he's real. I don't think he's big enough to meet my certain particular need. And let me show you what the biggest discipline of disenchantment is. It's beautiful, isn't it? And this is what happens. Oh, I can't see anything else. I get disenchanted by God, by what's transcendent, because I put myself in the way of allurement. Now, I've said this before, if if you can't learn how to live without it, then you haven't learned how to live with it. So I'm not quite on the Joseph side, because this is my iPhone. But if you haven't learned to put this away, see, so many people... Their disenchantment starts the moment they wake up. And they just can't hear God. And when it comes to it, they can't act like God because they've just been disenchanted by the world. They've put themselves in the way of allurement of something else. And you probably noticed this in those distractions. Under the, the pressure cooker of these emotions, Martha's, she explodes. And she does three things. She has a she distorts, she's dramatic, 
She's demanding. You see it. Lord, do you not care? <laughs> right, I mean, I, you're my best friends. I'm sure I don't care about you anymore. Lord, you don't care. See, really, Martha, Jesus, one of your best friends, he goes out of his way to come to your house. And do you notice the progression? I'm having trouble in the kitchen. That must mean the Lord doesn't care about me. Has this ever happened to you? I'm struggling at work. I guess the Lord doesn't care about me. In any struggle, you just attach it to the Lord doesn't care anymore. And this is what happened. This is what's happening. Her circumstances are getting in the way of her theology. Talking about a distortion. And then Jesus points out another thing. She's anxious and troubled about many things. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Martha's many things have all turned into non-negotiables. You ever talk to somebody and you say, they're, they're, their life is sort of unwinding in some unhealthy way, either too busy or financial things or time stress, and you just qu quietly, gently say, why don't you let that go? And they're like, fire-breathing dragon. I can't let that go. If I don't do it, nobody will. See, everything has become a non-negotiable. Just, just look at the gauges in your own life. I just, everything's non-negotiable, Paul. I can't let go of anything. Then you live in distortion. I guess God doesn't care about me because things aren't going well. Then you're living in a distorted way. When somebody is near death, especially somebody who's had a long-term illness, they get to a point and caregivers, medical people, call a phase they enter into towards the very end a transition where they were, use the word detachment. He or she has become detached. The body's beginning to shut down and the things they thought they needed around them suddenly, you know, it's closed into just life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, cared for me, and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2.20. That's my life verse. I wake up saying, I've got to detach from things of the world. I've got to transition there, there are many things that look important. They're flashy. They're crab houses and jungle golf and ice cream shops. And I, I, but I'm going to the ocean. And if I don't detach from these things, I'm always going to be on this side of the bridge. So I, I've got to detach. I've got to make a transition and say, I'm, I, I, one thing is necessary for me to live. Drama. She's left me to serve all alone. Oh, poor Martha. I'm the only one here serving Jesus. If serving God makes you a difficult person to live with, then you're a problem. Then she becomes demanding. You notice this is painful, probably the most painful part. Jesus, tell her to help me. 
See what she's captaining the ship now. Right? Uh, Martha's she Mary, she's not doing the right thing. Guess what? Jesus, you're not helping. So now I'm I'm telling two people, one my sister and one my savior, what to do. Again, just check your gauge. When you feel the need to tell Jesus what to do, big, big warning sign. Big warning sign. You're demanding. You, you become dr- dramatic. Everything is uh, necessary or critical. There's a distortion. So let's, let's just try to do some self-assessment. Let's look at our gauges. How might we look like Martha? Is it possible that you've crossed the bridge, but you've missed the ocean? And Jesus, Martha, Martha, this, this doubling of her name is, a, is an emotional emphasis. It's not, a, it's not a, um, an anger, it's a sadness. You missed it, you missed it. He comes in later into Jerusalem, right before he's crucified, and he, walk, he comes in on the donkey. Remember what he looks at Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you'd only known... The person you are looking for is here, but you've missed him. Martha, Martha. The only thing you need is me, and you're missing it because of all these demanding distractions. They're carrying you away. Let me close just by a quote, several sentences from John Ortberg's book called Soul Care. I called my friend Dallas Willard and told him about my present, the present condition of my heart as best I could discern. And I asked him, what did I need to do to be spiritually healthy? See, this is a great question. Long pause on the phone. Willard responded, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Long pause. Okay, I've written that one down. That's a good one. Now, what else? You see, I had many things to do, and I was anxious to cram in as many units of spiritual wisdom in the least amount of time. Uh, There is nothing else, he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Then Ortberg concludes, For most of us, the great danger, and I would say that's for me and most of you, is not that we'll renounce our faith. It is that we'll become so distracted, preoccupied, and rushed that we will settle for a mediocre version of life. We'll just skim the the surface of our lives instead of actually living them. And we will miss Jesus. So I've already done the application. Got to sit in front of Jesus. There just isn't a substitute. If you haven't done it, just start with two minutes. Start with three. Start with five. Your whole life might change. You might stop skimming the surface of life and really living the life that God has designed for you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we see Mary... We know Martha. And I pray that this day, September 18th, 
2022 might represent the time of transition for some of us here. That, that when we walked out, we said we're beginning a transition. A transition away from the distractions of the world and to sit and, and feast on the good portion. Would you help us? We're, we're so weak and frail. Would you encourage us? Would you make a way for us to have that time? And meet us in ways that would enrich our souls. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.